Hi, welcome to the Cake Adjacent Podcast, a once a week update on all things food, family, community, gardening, whatever. We call it Sidecar. If it has to do with rituals around food and holidays, making food or taking it places, or remembering what we were eating during important times in our lives, we'll talk about it here. Hello, friends. Oh my gosh, what a beater of a week it was. And it was a rough enough that I totally don't want to talk about it. I want to talk about how much I appreciate my Patreon friends and supporters of the podcast, and I hope that they got their snail mail this weekend, and if not, it should be there tomorrow or the next day. If you would like to be a Patreon, please, please join. It will help me buy that beach house I'm going to talk about in a minute. It was a hard week at work, and it was a hard week at the house because we said goodbye to our beloved Big Ginger Barney after almost 17 years. But I do not want to talk about my no-good sad week. I want to talk about the beach, which is my happy place. So if you listen to Two Chocolate Cakes, you know that I have had a few families, that my childhood was chaotic and sometimes violent and unpredictable, and all of those experiences shaped me into the person that I am now, for better or worse, but a lot for the better. Um... The better part came because I had other people looking out for me, and I've been thinking a lot about them these days. I mentioned the rocks and two chocolate cakes, but I suspect I could write an entire whole podcast series on just what it was like to essentially grow up as a kind of foster child in that household. A household that was not without their own trials, of course, but they were very different from the ones that I had to endure as a kid. So in that family, summers were spent on Cliff Island in the Casco Bay in Maine, which is off the coast of Portland, Maine, one of the very last islands that the Portland Ferry traveled to. It was where Mrs. Rock grew up in a family of lobster fishermen. She went to a one-room schoolhouse that's still there, and she went to college in Rhode Island at Rhode Island School of Design. She was the only one of her family to leave Cliff Island. Although Gramps McVeigh, her father, eventually came to live with them, well, with us, when he got too old to take care of himself. And by then, both of my grandfathers were long gone, and so the Rock kids shared him with me, just like they shared everything with me. Almost everything. Anyhow, Mrs. Rock and the kids would go out to Cliff Island to the family homestead every summer, usually from the last week of June, which was about when we got out of school, until the last week of August. At some point, Mr. Rock would go out too, maybe for a week, and while he was there, we would water the plants at their house and feed the cats, Tommy and McTavish. Several summers, we actually rented a place for a week or two as well, usually a very small cabin on some rocky shore with water you had to bring up with a pump and no electricity or actual outhouses for a toilet. Even before Dad stopped drinking, I don't remember him coming out with us. But as I got older and Dad got sober, it was still just me and Mom who went. Dad would still stay back and work on Fisher's Island, and Kath was long out of the house by then. When it was just the two of us, we'd stay at the McVeigh household. Mom in one of the bedrooms on the main floor, and me with the rest of the kids in the hot, airless attic that was set up like a dorm room with painted iron twin beds all in a row. Actually, it looked more like something out of an orphanage than a dorm room, but I loved it so much because we were all together, like in a Broadway musical or some Disney movie. Anyway, 
My mother always sent me somewhere for the summer, whether it was for my own enrichment or to keep me out from under her feet or whatever. Um, and so sometimes I spent entire months at my grandparents' place in Massachusetts on Beaver Lake, but I was absolutely not my grandmother's favorite. And so she would put me in Catholic day camp to keep me out from under her feet. But Cliff Island was only about two miles long and less than a half a mile wide at its thickest point. And there was not a lot of trouble we could get into apart from drowning in the frigid Atlantic Ocean or smashing our small bodies on the rocks. But I guess in the 70s and early 80s, no one really cared about that at the time. Whatever. The three rock kids were two years older, my age, and four years younger than me. And they had a few cousins who were closer to Kath's age. During the day, we'd ride our bikes all over the island, different adventures every day, looking for sea glass and shells, clamming on the outermost beaches, fishing, uh, swimming in Fisherman's Cove, waiting for the ferry at the wharf, crabbing at just about every dock, a daily visit to the one tiny store on the island for bubblegum and candy when it would open for the few hours that it would open every day. Sometimes we'd go out on Uncle Bunk's boat which was when he was still an active lobster fisherman. And sometimes there were fireworks after a softball game on the ball field. But part of every day was spent, at least during the months of July, picking blueberries, uh, tiny wild blueberries up on the bluffs. Now, I haven't been to Cliff Island since I was a preteen, maybe. But if I close my eyes, I can absolutely feel that damp, clammy, salty air in my hair, which at the time was so long. I hadn't gotten it cut yet. It was, it was all the way down to my butt. And the smell of sage mixed in with all of those blueberry bushes. Whatever blueberries were not eaten on site were brought back to the house and made into blueberry pancakes or a pie. At night, there was bingo or some kind of programming at the community center or the library. We played badminton in the yard under the floodlights with all of the moths in Maine joining us. It was a magical time when I was on Cliff Island. The ferry ride back to Portland, where our car was, and the ride back to Connecticut was never a joyful one. When the McVeigh matriarch, Ellen, died, Gramps McVeigh came to live in Connecticut with the Rocks, and he became my grandfather, too, teaching me about woodworking and enjoying a cup of tea with me at the end of the day. He became a good friend to my father as well. After Dad got sober, he had few friends. Dad often brought pieces of interesting furniture home, stuff that had been dropped off at the dump or washed up on the shores of one of the beaches, and Gramps would restore it, a bench for my favorite reading spot in the woods, or a heavy oak ammunition chest that served as a coffee table for years at my parents, then at my dad's, and now it's with me here in Virginia. Every summer, Mrs. Rock and Gramps would go back to the island, but we kids were all working. Me as a mother's helper and a nanny, and then at the resort and on Fisher's Island with Dad. Mom went a few times after I was all grown up, taking Gordy one year and Alex to explore the tide pools and go clamming. The McVeigh house, though, the center of our universe on that tiny island, was given over to the Rock Daughters, who found it difficult to maintain it and pay the taxes on it, and thus it was sold. And I'd be lying if I said my heart wasn't broken that I was not part of that decision. Because while they shared so much with me, that was the one thing they didn't share. And I would have mortgaged my future to keep that house in our family.
Mrs. Rock would still go most summers, though, really up until about five years ago, and rent a place, and the girls would spend a long weekend or a week with her, but I was never invited. Although I know that if I had simply invited myself, it would have been fine. It would, they would have loved to have me. I just never felt comfortable doing that for some reason. I don't, I honestly don't know why. I have always loved island life. My favorite vacations are Oceanside. I'm a strong swimmer, thanks to mom putting me into Parks and Rec's Red Cross swimming lessons at the swimming hole. Seriously, I grew up learning to swim in a literal swimming hole. From when I was a first grader until seventh grade, when I got my junior life-saving badge at Sleepaway Camp, which was a 4-H camp, that I won for winning the science fair that year. Work on Fisher's Island was hard, but working on an estate on the beach was often like vacation. A swim in the ocean after eight hours of hot and dirty gardening and landscaping could erase whatever awful crap had happened that day. I can spend all day in the water, and when Ben and I are lucky to go to Hawaii for one of his work trips, I spend all my time snorkeling and diving. When we actually take vacation, it is to the eastern shore of Virginia, Chincoteague, or the outer banks of North Carolina. When my dad was sick and I moved back to Connecticut to take care of him, I'd go to the beach while he was doing chemo. He didn't like me hanging around, but he liked that I would drive him to and fro and sit in the damp sand with a book in my iPod or in my car if it was raining with a bag of glazed donuts, saving one for him for when he was done with his treatment. And when he died, the very first trip I took a few months later was to Florida to see Lars and her family. And I put my feet in the Gulf of Mexico for the first time ever, and I looked out onto that milky blue ocean lapping at my ankles, and I thought of him. The next year, I went to Hawaii and got scuba certified, all the while thinking about how, if I fall off a boat and I'm eaten by a shark, there are definitely worse ways to go. And that my dad would agree with that. And when I'm visiting my friends in Rhode Island, the first thing Jeff, my Rhode Island bestie, and I do is drive out to the Cape together. So you're probably thinking, Jen, where is all this coming from and where is all this going? Because you probably know me well enough to know that there's usually some little morsel of memory, a tiny crumb that is the sourdough starter of my writing for every one of these podcasts. Well, this weekend I've been thinking a lot about Cliff Island because we are creeping up on the third anniversary of Nell Rock, who was my childhood bestie, who shared her family and her bedroom and her dinner table and her clothes and her dog and her cats and her sisters and her parents and her grandparents when I didn't have any. She drank herself to death, died of sepsis and organ failure on July 30th. And I wasn't able to save her because she had just given up. And I don't know why, and I will never know why, and that I didn't try harder to understand what had happened while I was off in Oregon and in Providence and then Virginia. Well, I have a hard time forgiving myself for not hanging on to her better. But I also know that addiction is not a cross I can bear for somebody else. That, though, is a story for another podcast. And so, because I am a person who is often haunted by touchstones and memories, I have been asking myself why I love the ocean so much. Why is it so important to my very being? 
Why is even a bad day at the beach still the best day of the year? At first, I thought it was because our family vacation spent out on Cliff Island weren't actually with my family, because for years my father never came out, so all the drama around the drinking and the fighting just didn't exist out there, and I'm sure that the relief was palpable, even though I didn't quite know what was missing when I was seven years old. But I did spend a lot of time with my father on Fisher's Island beaches, so I'm not sure it's about family, at least not my family. Maybe it is partially how there's always an exit at the beach. You're never trapped. You can always just swim or row or paddle or drift away. When you grow up in a household like mine, you're always making sure you know where the exit is, both literally and figuratively. When I sit down at a restaurant, my back is to the wall and I can see the entrance like I'm some kind of mobster worried about getting clipped. My back is never to a door. At home, the bed, the sofa, and my chair at the dinner table, they are positioned in a way that I can see all the exits and entrances to the room or the house. My own house. I have the most anxiety when I have to go somewhere, the dentist usually, where the chair is situated so I cannot see who is coming into the room behind me. I hate my kitchen not just because it is functionally useless, but because it has no windows, and no matter which counter you're working on, It is easy to be snuck up on, and it is so easy to feel trapped in. Waffles, my anxious beagle, is also not a fan of the kitchen for the same reasons. It took us five years to talk him into eating his breakfast and his dinner in that kitchen. Some things you can work out as you get older. Despite being raised by one parent lacking empathy and the other a well-meaning but pathological liar, I have lots of empathy and care for others. My mother thinks I have way too much, and she often questions why Kath and I do nice things for other people, which is something we absolutely do not understand. And even though I had a terrible eating disorder, I was able to work through it, and I love talking about food and making food for others, and even eating a lot of food that I like. But some things you never outgrow, and worrying about being able to hide or getting out of a situation where you might get hurt is probably one of those things. And that is why I love being by the ocean. Lakes and rivers are nice too, but the ocean is just magic. If I won a modest sum in the lottery, the first thing I'd do is buy a place, even if it's just a studio near a beach somewhere. If I won a decent amount in the lottery, I'd buy a big cottage, never a McMansion, and I'd invite all my friends there to share it and I'd make blueberry cake and pancakes, and there'd be a jar of beach glass that gets added to every year because that's what beach houses are for, for escaping to when your real life makes you feel trapped. So that was kind of a clumsy essay, but it was definitely what I've been thinking about this week, and I'm not going to micromanage it. Instead, I'll tell you I didn't get to the farmer's market at all this week, and it has been so hot here that while we have a ton of tomatoes in the garden, None are ripening. But do you remember why? I think I told you. Because tomatoes love hot days and cool nights, and the nights here have been very hot and humid. The tomatoes I got out of the garden uh, a couple weeks ago, mostly cherry tomatoes and a few paste tomatoes, were so good though. I put them on an egg and cheese sandwich twice, and they were so delicious. You can really taste the difference between a homegrown tomato and a hothouse tomato. 
The herbs are doing great though, and so are the hot peppers. They love this weather. Oh, also the bindweed is back, which I should have expected what would last be just being an epic shit show personally and professionally, but I'm just not going to give that any more oxygen. How about we get to our special segment from Amy Roan, Cookie Correspondent. Amy is kind enough to try all the crumble cookies every week and then give a report because I have tried them twice now and my personal and professional opinion is I do not like gigantic cookies. So I did not include a cookie correspondence update last week, so we have two weeks worth. And a reminder that crumble does bring back the special cookies. So even if the cookies mentioned this week aren't there this week, they'll be back at some point unless everyone hated them. And even then, I suspect they'll still be back. Also, they don't sponsor us. This is just something we're doing for fun. Okay, so two weeks ago, the cornbread cookie reminds me of Jiffy cornbread muffins. I don't love Jiffy cornbread, but it works as a cookie, which I think is kind of interesting. I'm sort of sorry I didn't try that one. The s'mores was too much for me. It was just too sweet, which is definitely one of the things that I have beef with with these cookies. The apple pie was pretty tasty. Nicely spiced apples. The apple still had a bit of texture. Reminded me of my grandpa. He loved apples. My favorite one from this week was the birthday cake. It tasted like a piece of birthday cake. The frosting was yummy, kind of soft to be served on a warm cookie. Okay. So then the cookies from this week, which I actually tried as well, so my notes are at the end. Double fudge brownie. It was a brownie in a cookie form with fudge on top. Would be better warmer and with ice cream. Honestly, what isn't? Chocolate toffee cake. I was not a fan. The icing on this tasted like Cool Whip and it wasn't pleasant. Lemon cupcake. A lemon sugar cookie with a well-balanced lemon icing. Perfectly sweet and tart. Solid lemon flavor. Peanut butter featuring Reese's. A peanut butter cookie with pieces of chocolate baked inside, peanut butter spread on the outside, and a crumble of Reese's cups on top. It sounded like it would have been too much, but the salt level was a perfect counter to the balance of the sweet candy. Strawberry Pop-Tart. Tasted exactly as described. If you like strawberry Pop-Tarts, you should enjoy this cookie. The lemon was the winner from the office today. Thank you, Amy. Now, sidebar, I got the lemon and the strawberry Pop-Tart, and they tasted quite good. But here's the thing. I just cannot deal with a cookie that is as big as the top of a small cake. If they were normal cookie sized, I would have been all over that lemon cookie. The frosting was so good. But you should not have to eat a cookie with a fork. Like, I draw the line there. If you can think of some other things that Amy and or I should try, let me know, because there are certainly a million franchises where I am. Maybe I will start with anything bundt cakes. Well, think about it. Okay. How about getting you ready for the week with food holidays? I'm sorry for not getting this information to you earlier, but today is peach ice cream day. And since I made that mistake, I'm making it peach ice cream week. Now, I know that many of you took umbrage at the Agenda podcast when Jen and I said that neither of us believes in homemade ice cream. But if you want to make icy homemade peach ice cream, you go for it. But I will buy it at the ice cream store. Monday is caviar day, and this is a day that I do not celebrate in any way, shape, or form, so I'll probably just double down on peach ice cream. 
Tuesday the 19th is National Daiquiri Day, and I'm going to be honest and say that I'm not sure I've actually ever had one because, as you know, I'm not much of a drinker. But if that is your thing, I hope you have a really great recipe and you have like 15 of them and then you play Boggle all night with friends because that just sounds like a lot of fun. Wednesday is Lollipop Day, and I definitely have opinions about lollipops. I love C's lollipops, all the flavors, but especially the cinnamon ones that are limited edition. They come out usually around uh, Valentine's Day, but I love them all. I also love Charms Blow Pops. I love the flavor of the lollipop, and then I love the fact that there's gum on the inside. I love Tootsie Pops too, but do you remember those gigantic Charms lollipops that looked like giant lifesavers? I'm pretty sure that they were made by Charms, but not actual lifesavers. The Lifesaver Company, which is probably why they don't exist anymore, because it was probably some sort of copyright infringement. They were really good. I feel like they were an 80s candy. I also liked Ring Pops. I think they still make those, but you just got your hand just got so sticky, which I am not a fan of. There are two lollipops that I don't love. I don't like Dum Dums because they are way too tiny. And I don't like the kind that have like a tequila worm in them or crickets. No lollipops with bugs in them for me, please. Thank you. It is also ice cream soda day, which I am positive I talked about like two weeks ago. Have you ever had an ice cream soda? I am a fan. I don't even know where you get them anymore. It's ice cream and usually syrup, uh, like chocolate syrup or vanilla syrup uh, with seltzer. It's pretty delicious, if you asked me. In addition, it is fortune cookie day. And I'm probably in the minority when I say how much I love fortune cookies. I'm sure it has to do with feeling like someone cares about me enough to give me a little bit of advice in a cookie, but I also like that weird plasticky lemon cookie. When we go to Asian food restaurants that give out fortune cookies, I get to eat them all. Well, not all of them in the restaurant, just the ones they give to us. I'm not a monster, honestly. Thursday is junk food day, so to me that says you can eat whatever you want because we all have different definitions of quote-unquote junk food. I actually don't believe any food is junk because I believe food is morally neutral. Once you start calling food good and bad, that's how you end up with disordered eating. Food is what I like and what I don't like, and that's how I like to keep it. Now look, Friday is a big, important day in my life. <sighs> It is Panucci Fudge Day, and Panucci Fudge is my absolute favorite fudge of all the fudge and all of the world. And I am not a fan of stunt fudges, just like I'm not a fan of stunt donuts. So if you put Fruity Pebbles or Lemon Oreos or Birdseed in the fudge, I'm just going to look at you and purse my lips. But if you hand me a pound of Panucci Walnut Fudge, I will probably pledge to be your best friend forever. In fact, I am pretty sure I have done that. My favorite place to get fudge is out in Orleans on Cape Cod at a little place called the Hot Chocolate Sparrow. And trust me when I tell you that I have eaten fudge all over the world. The world, people. And there is no fudge on the planet that is better than Hot Chocolate Sparrow fudge. All their fudges are A+, but the Panucci Walnut is just so good. Unfortunately, they do not ship during the summer. But if you're going out that way, I absolutely recommend stopping by because all their candy is good. Plus, they have the most excellent panini sandwiches and coffee. 
Friday, July 22nd is also Mango Day, and I like mangoes very much. The Chobani Mango Drinkable Yogurt is my number one favorite. And when I'm just not feeling like eating, that is what I like to drink to make sure I'm putting some calories and protein into my body. Saturday the 23rd is Vanilla Ice Cream Day. And look, I'm not going to lie. I love vanilla ice cream because say it with me, I don't like stunt foods. So I don't need all kinds of nonsense like bacon or pieces of omelet or Malamar soaked in gin to be in my ice cream to enjoy it. Vanilla ice cream is a perfectly good base for every Sunday, for in between layers of cake, for the innards of an ice cream sandwich, for next door to a piece of pie, whatever. Vanilla ice cream for the win. And finally, Sunday the 24th is Tequila Day, which again, I don't celebrate, but if you do, have at it. I will probably just continue to eat ice cream and maybe I will make some panucci fudge. It actually doesn't seem that hard. I have all the ingredients and you just have to understand how long to cook it. And I, I have a thermo candy thermometer. If you have a recipe in your family for panucci uh, walnut fudge, which is also sometimes called brown sugar fudge, definitely let me know. I'd love to try it. I have a few recipes collected, but I've not made it myself. Okay, so that's the food holidays for this week. And I will ask you, friends, please keep your chins up. I know there's a lot going on in the world that's hard right now, but if we don't have each other, we have nothing. And remember, it's never too late to get a backyard swimming pool, change your career, or tell someone that you love them. See you next week. <laughs>